Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. It's another week in the pop culture sphere, and there have been a lot of things going on, and so of course, we start every episode with a couple of opening minutes just talking about all the things that happened in the pop culture world. Starting with, this one is for all my Paramore fans out there, Haley Williams performed her first Coachella, apparently, when she was invited on stage by Billie Eilish. And she performed Misery Business, which if you're a Paramore fan, you know, they don't perform Misery Business anymore. They like took it off their set list a little while ago. So that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Um, I know many of you may not know this, but the black community has co-opted Paramore. To us, they are Haley and them. So I'm going to need for Haley to drum up the band and return my calls because I'm going to need for them to hop back on a tour. And I mean immediately. I'm going to need for that to happen. Expeditiously, actually. I'm going to need for that to happen. So Haley, if you're out there, I know you have a massive hair dye business that is doing so well. And I'm so proud of you. But I'm going to need for you to get back in that studio. I'm going to need for you to hop back in that studio. Because I can't survive on the like studio vocals version of Into You alone. I can't keep doing that. I need more i need more than that from you Haley, and i know that you have more so don't be selfish you know what i mean maybe maybe like give the people what they want and by the people i mean me okay so anyone who knows Haley williams or is adjacent to her in any way just tell her i'm a big fan but i'm gonna need for her to get back in that studio i'm gonna need for that to happen soon in other in other news, I went to go to the movies twice in a span of two, three days to see The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is a new Nicolas Cage movie. And he's also playing opposite Pedro Pascal. And that movie was better than I thought it was going to be. It is very much a Nicolas Cage romp. So if you're a big fan of Nicolas Cage, you're going to get a lot of laughs. I can't necessarily say that I was the biggest fan of Nicolas Cage. (laughs) I appreciate his acting style, but it just doesn't always work for me personally. And there were definitely moments in the movie where I was like, oh, you know, but overall, it was a really, really good movie. And I highly recommend it. Like it's it's a like very original story. I thought it was reminiscent of being John Malkovich because, you know, it's like the character playing themselves pretty much. Uh, But it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same as that. Um, But that movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, got me thinking a very small thought that is not worked out in any type of way. So please take this with a grain of salt. But I, I got me thinking that, like, is 2022 kind of the second coming of 1999 when it comes to to film and if you don't know 1999 is considered to be the greatest year or amongst the greatest years for for film um there were a lot of films that came out in that year that definitely kind of set the tone for where hollywood was going for the like years that followed it a lot of like new up-and-coming voices in hollywood were making films so 
you had movies like Being John Malkovich, Election, Any Given Sunday, uh, The Blair Witch Project, like a lot of movies that are like were pretty like massive movies that then kind of led to like other movies in their genres that were, you know, trendsetters. And I it got me thinking like is 2022 the makings of that but with films that actually star people of color because that's one that's my one gripe with the argument that 1999 is one of the greatest uh, years for film because that argument almost often only centers white films it all it just it does it just only centers the most white films and all of those movies that I mentioned minus like any given Sunday um Lily White Lily white movies like very very white whereas 2022 so far we're getting more films that either like are led by people of color so like everything everywhere all at once or have them in lead roles or are about them so i think like i said this is not a fully baked idea by any means but i it it got me thinking that it, it might have the makings of it that and also 1999 and also 2007 is another year that is put in uh, contention for the greatest movie year ever and they tend to disregard genre and medium in those discussions as well so 1999 does pretty well as far as having films from different mediums so Toy Story 2 which is what I consider to be the best Toy Story movie came out in 1999 uh, 2007 had Ratatouille and this year we're getting like a couple of animated hits and classics I would imagine um but I don't know I it, it got my little my little hamster wheel turning about that so as the year unfolds we'll see if if that's something that eventually comes to fruition but anyways and of course yesterday literally as I was leaving the theater from seeing the unbearable weight of massive talent I opened up Twitter and I I was accosted with the news coming out of CinemaCon of Greta Gerwig's Barbie that is set to be released in the summer of 2023. And it is supposed to be opening on the exact same day as Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, a movie that I don't care about. So (laughs) it's bad. But that, if you look at the cast, it is, I mean, in this day and age, Christopher Nolan is, is only exclusively hiring white people in his movies (laughs) like if you look at the cast list all like laid out it's insane I'm like Christopher this is feeling intentional this is feeling a little intentional but the Barbie movie by Greta Gerwig which she's not necessarily all that much better for uh casting people of color but uh Barbie does star Issa Rae so you know that I will be seated regardless but it was I think it was a movie that we just didn't and we still don't quite know what to make of it because it's starring Margot Robbie and also Ryan Gosling and like I said Issa Rae but then also it's gonna have Michael Sarah. we didn't really know anything about the plot until yesterday it came out that it's essentially about Barbie living in Barbie land but she's not perfect enough to live in Barbie land um, or I guess like there is a doll who lives in Barbie land who is not perfect enough to be there. So she's sent like she's exiled to the real world. And if you are a uh, child of the early 2000s, you may be hearing that premise and you're like, that's a little reminiscent. That's a little 
it's a little familiar to me. And you would be correct because I had that same feeling and I was like, okay, so this movie is just life-size. This is just life-size. That movie starring Lindsay Lohan and Tyra Banks, where Tyra is like a doll and then she becomes real and she has to like move about the real world and figure out like how to be a human and not a doll. Yeah, life-size. So I'm like, is this movie just going to be life-size? Beats me. I don't know. I'll still be seated. I will be there to watch. I'm a little bit worried uh, because Greta Gerwig, you know, God bless her, I don't need a gritty Barbie movie. I'm laying that, I'm I'm putting that boundary, I'm drawing that line in the sand. I don't need a gritty Barbie movie. I don't. I don't think we need it as a collective. I'm going to speak for all of us if you guys don't mind. We don't need a gritty Barbie movie. I don't want it. What you guys don't know about me is that I love Barbie. That's my girl. I don't know. I want pink. I want fantasy. I want fun. And from the first visual, we only have like one still from the movie. It seems to be giving that. That seems to be what is being offered. But I'm worried that when she goes into the real world, that's when it's going to get gritty. And I'm just not having it. I'm not having it. I don't want that. I need it to be. Also, I don't need to be a drama. I want it to be funny. I need the laughs. I need the haha. Like, this is not whatever she's thinking. I need for her to really think it through. If she's approaching this as a drama, a 20th century women, Frances Ha, I need for her to pivot. Let's pivot away. Let's shift because I don't want just another like gritty, you know, Barbie. I want fun. Can we just have fun? Can't the girls just have fun at the movies anymore? So clearly I care a lot about this <laughs> about this movie and I I know that it will do well but I have I have my hesitations. I am a Barbie girl. Living in a Barbie world. I should be able to express my my trepidation with where this film could possibly be going. All I have is a a, a stacked cast and one sentence of plot. I got a log line and a cast. That's all I got. So We'll see how it shakes out as the year unfolds and we get closer to the release date next summer. I'm hoping and praying that it, it turns out the way it needs to turn out. Uh, also, Warner Brothers, if you're listening, I would love to be there. I would love to be at the premiere. I already have my premiere outfit picked out. If you follow me on Twitter, you already know where my head is at. So if anyone from Warner Brothers is listening, go on ahead and just make up that guest list and just put me on there. Just put me on there. It's okay. You don't have to. Don't even think about it. Just, you know, just write Bobby the Afternoon Special on there. Yeah. So you got a year to think about it. But I think I would be a good, good person to put on that guest list. Just saying. Um, also, for this film, I need for the merchandising to be top tier. I need for there to be a new Barbie collaboration merchandising item to be dropping every single day every single day i would like to go into credit card debt for the amount of merch that i will be buying in connection to this film so that's more of a mattel thing so mattel i know you're busy you're getting ready for this you know big theatrical release and that's great i need that merchandising to be top tier top tier i need that 
Um, so really, this these opening minutes were not things happening in pop culture. It was Bobby asking for things for 12 minutes straight. And that's fine. Because guess what? It's my podcast. So, haha. <laughs> um, but anyways, speaking of Barbie, my, my love will continue on through the rest of this episode. But speaking of Barbie, uh, like I said, what you guys might not know about me is that I am definitely a Barbie girl. She's easily one of my top three favorite white women. And I am just a big fan of dolls, like in general, like they were a very big deal to me when I was a kid. And I honestly think it was because of the the outfits and the accessories and everything. And if you're wondering, yes, I also had an American Girl doll phase. It was a big deal to me. We don't talk about it. I'm just kidding. American Girl dolls are great. But for anyone who grew up with dolls, especially in like the early 2000s, you know that you were probably often asked the age old question of Barbie or Bratz. And this question is not really just a question. It's almost an indicator of a way of life. It was a key factor in who you would befriend and who would become your enemy. It was the ultimate divider. That's dramatic, but Bratz versus Barbies have kind of an interesting history with one another. And they go a lot deeper than just playing with plastic dolls. So that's what we're chatting about today. So before we get into their battle, we've got to introduce our players. So on one end, we got Barbie, Barbara Millicent Roberts, the world's it girl since 1959. Barbie was created by Ruth Handler and her husband, Elliot, after Ruth noticed that there wasn't really a toy for girls that would allow for them to play and dream into the future. It's important to note that Barbie came out in a time when the idea of a toy inspiring children wasn't necessarily top of mind. So there were a lot of BB guns and Lincoln logs for boys and for girls, they usually only had baby dolls, dolls that needed to be nurtured and cared for. So the only play that was happening with young girls was just practicing being a mom, which is not necessarily a bad thing inherently, but play is about imagination and play is not very effective when that imagination is inhibited to a kind of small box. It didn't take long for Barbie to take the world by storm and become a mainstay for kids everywhere who enjoyed playing with dolls. Barbie was everywhere and she could be anything, which also could technically be seen as a bad thing because I love her, but Barbie could not keep a job. She has like 200 jobs. Her resume is a book. Barbie has a long-term boyfriend named Ken and a lot of friends and a sister named Skipper. She's a fashion icon and muse. Barbie is American pop culture, just like Mickey Mouse or Coca-Cola. She was perfect, and over the years, we'd soon resent her for that, and in certain cases, rightfully so. And then there was her opponent, the Bratz. Released in 2001, Bratz truly were the epitome of the cool girls in school when it came to toys. They were the girls with a passion for fashion, and they always felt very current. If you weren't a person who played with Bratz in the early 2000s, you might not understand the vice grip these dolls had on those who did, especially if you are a person of color. Now, this is no knock to Barbie, but Chloe, Yasmin, Jade, and Sasha felt like the girl that I wanted to be. And that was by design because brats were meant to be on the cutting edge of pop culture, but they often would find themselves being trendsetters in their own right. And on kind of a deeper note, this felt like a doll line that had diversity that was top of mind from its conception, rather than a variation of the main product like with Barbie. 
It felt good that I could go into a store and find a doll that was my complexion and she was her own person slash doll. And brats never intended to pat themselves on the back for having racially diverse dolls. They just represented them in the same way as Barbies were represented. As the default. So we've got our players. Now let's get into the doll war. In the late 1990s, Carter Bryant was working at Mattel, designing clothes for Barbie when inspiration struck. The style of the late 90s was nothing like the ultra-put-together Barbie. It was grungier, willing to work with different silhouettes, baggy, and it was all about personal self-expression. This inspired Brian to create the dolls who embodied that, and you could say his dolls had a passion for fashion. Brian approached CEO of Micro Games of America Entertainment, Isaac Larian, with his brats, and initially Larian thought the dolls looked ugly. But it was Larian's daughter, Jasmine, who had convinced him, and he invested in Bratz. Now, as I previously mentioned, Bratz were a much more culturally inclusive set of dolls, as opposed to Barbie. And it wasn't just the race of the dolls, but Bratz always felt in tune with culture, especially black culture. From their physical features to the way that the dolls dressed, Bratz always felt like they had their finger on the pulse of what was trendy. And y'all know who tends to set the trends. I mean, just take a little scroll on TikTok and you'll see. Bratz went on to be a massive success and opened up the toy market for children of all races. And the franchise grossed $2 billion in the first five years of it being on the market. And by 2006, they had accounted for 40% of all doll sales. Now, it is very crucial to note that Bratz wasn't the first opposing doll line to try and compete with Barbie. Okay, so last week we did a little Muppets history lesson, and now it's time for a little Barbie history lesson. In the mid-80s, Jim and the Holograms was a popular animated TV show. The show was about Jerrica Benton, who was a businesswoman by day and the rock star Jim by night, and she was truly, truly outrageous. Gem and the Holograms was created by Hasbro, and allegedly when Mattel, the creator of Barbie, remember, got word that Hasbro was planning on rolling out dolls for the super popular Gem, Mattel rushed a rock star Barbie to market. Now, usually dolls take about 16 months to make it to market, and Mattel rushed rock star Barbie in about four months. Barbie and the Rockers doll line beat Gem and the Holograms to the toy shelves, Mattel claims that Barbie and the Rockers was long in the works before they had heard about Gem and the Holograms, but if you look at them, they look pretty similar to what the Gem and the Holograms dolls ended up looking like. Gem and the Holograms, the Holograms were a band that was connected to Gem. Uh, it was like a, a multiracial band. So there was like a black girl, I think there was an Asian girl, there was like a, a Latino dude. And Barbie and the Rockers, it was a similar thing. Like, Bright colors, metallic fabrics, multiracial band, both of them had some similarities that you really couldn't deny. But this was all allegedly, of course. The Gem and the Holograms dolls went on to sell just fine, but who has had longer staying power in pop culture between Gem and Barbie? That answers your question right there. There have been many a doll line, and this is this is to say that this That was an instance of Hasbro, another major toy line who invented G.I. Joe and Transformers going up against Mattel. This is 
not even taking into account all the smaller doll brands like Kenner and everything like that that went up against Barbie and lost. (laughs) This is just one instance. Many have tried to take Barbie down and Bratz was just the first to give them some fierce competition. It gets juicy because in 2004, Mattel actually sued Bratz for plagiarism, with Mattel allegedly saying that they own Bratz since Carter Bryant was still working at Mattel when he came up with the idea for the dolls. And this legal battle between MGA and Mattel is still ongoing. Like, I think it might have just wrapped up within the last, like, two to three years but it went on for a very very long time with I think Mattel ended up winning out in the end this isn't to say I don't think Mattel owns Bratz but I think they kind of like found some legal common ground between the two of them but I think what makes this whole back and forth between Bratz and Barbie kind of interesting is what each respective doll group kind of represents So whether we acknowledge it or not, Barbie is kind of the representation of the all-American girl. She's thin, white, and blonde, conventionally attractive. She is what many would want their young girls to grow up to be. We never really gave Barbie much flack for what we gave Bratz for when they came out. Both dolls are dolls that have proportions that no human has. Long legs, the smallest little torso and and waist, like a bigger bust, like all those things. Barbies and Bratz, no one looks like that. But when Bratz came on the market, which were dolls with like fuller lips, they wore makeup, they had long the long legs, the skinny waist, the big butler, bigger bust in proportion to the rest of their body. And also they're like, bulbous shoes we really gave them a lot of flack for that and I think the idea that Bratz was a group of multicultural dolls kind of made us confront why were those things bad in Bratz but good in Barbie and that's kind of the the back and forth between the two doll groups right um Barbie wholesome all-american white girl Bratz the you know like they're they're too grown. They were dolls that were too grown for kids. With which, like I said, both dolls very similar in in their kind of their makeup. They look pretty like not obviously they're both stylized in different ways, but what they represent is pretty much the same. The ideal of like a thin, tall doll was still being marketed to kids, but one group was acceptable, Barbie, and the other was seen as not very acceptable, Bratz. And you could come to the conclusion of why one was acceptable over the other. I don't feel like I have to point that one out. But I think what made Bratz interesting now, and I think what's what's fascinating is that both brands have definitely almost done a 180 from what they were, or really kind of like transformed as time has gone on. I don't know what kids are playing with nowadays um, because I don't have a child and my younger brother is 16. So clearly I'm not in the know of like what the children are playing with. Um, But I don't imagine that dolls are all that popular anymore. Not as popular as they were when like I was a kid and like when my mom was a kid and everything. Um, So I'm, that's just what I'm, I'm prefacing here. But I've been watching Barbie and Bratz kind of 
transform as time has gone on. And Barbie has definitely kind of pivoted to the like all girls approach. And what I mean by that, it's, it's not like all girls are great. Like, no, Barbie for a long time kind of just focus in on just the one Barbie, like in her world and how she dressed and how she acted. But now Barbie has thus expanded to be inclusive of size, of race, of height, like of a lot of different things. And Barbie definitely has taken the approach of celebrating everyone who has enjoyed Barbie. So they kind of make a big deal about, you know, like celebrity Barbies have always been a thing. But now, you know, when there's a woman of note or like who does something that's super amazing and incredible, like Mattel will come out with a Barbie that looks like her. It's actually like really, really neat. Also, digitally speaking, Barbie is like like has a really good digital footprint, I would say, that is almost like a, like I said, a 180 from what the doll was and maybe like the 70s, 80s and 90s, which was just, she was just a pretty face built for consumerism. Whereas now like Barbie has a YouTube channel and she almost these like vlogs and she'll like answer questions and she answers them very, like, she's very real. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm getting life lessons from Barbie on this YouTube channel, but I highly recommend you giving it a watch because it's, it's very, it, it is something that was crucial and necessary for young girls who are playing with Barbies to have had in conjunction with having the doll. I think being able to see Barbie speak in a way that is not just like, you know, like, let's go to the mall or whatever, but to have like, to be a being that is that has all these thoughts and feelings and has a world that she lives in and she has like a perspective on that. It's really fascinating to see. And then on the other side with Bratz, they haven't quite taken the more wholesome approach that Barbie has taken, but Bratz has definitely grown up with their consumers. So like I said, it was introduced in 2001. So if you were maybe like five, six around that time, you're mid twenties, early thirties, depending. Um, and Bratz has then kind of like embodied the we're going to grow up with you. Like, yes, we're we're Bratz, but we're going to lean into our trendsetter traits. Like if you go on the Bratz Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you see the dolls like dressed up in very like timely references. I think they posted a picture with two dolls dressed as Maddie from Euphoria, like Bratz is not necessarily for like a younger demographic anymore. Like they have allowed the dolls to grow up. And it's interesting to see like 20 somethings interact with a doll page. That was dolls that they played with when they were a kid, but they're interacting with things that they watch right now. It's really, really interesting to see. And I think it was a pivot that made sense for how the dolls were. I don't, I don't necessarily think that, Bratz has ever was ever truly for super duper young kids like they definitely gave me the vibe of being more for teenagers like you know prepubescent children those who were on the cusp of aging out playing with dolls and so the fact that they've made this shift to cater to you know a 20 somethings adult demographic is really interesting and I think that it's worked pretty well for them because when they last year would have been the 20th anniversary for Bratz and they re-released the first line of dolls with Chloe, Yasmin, Jade, and Sasha. 
and those things flew off the shelves. <laughs> like they, people were buying those brats in droves. Like it was, it was insane, but it, it made sense because like a lot of us grew up with brats because that was the only doll that felt like it was made for us, you know? So I think it's, it's really just interesting. There's a really great article from W Magazine that details the cultural history of, of brats and kind of what they represent and like the different academic studies that have been done around them and the, the place that they have in pop culture. It's really interesting. I'll be sure to, to link it in the description of this episode so you can read it if you'd like. But overall, I think Bratz and Barbie were, were two sides of the same coin, but they definitely, when you give it a little bit more thought, you read into why one was seen as more palatable than the other and how that informs beauty standards that informs how young girls like feel about themselves growing up and the the way that the world may see them like that that type of thing starts with the toys that you play with you know so I just think it's really interesting and it's fascinating where should they have been at war with one another I don't think so they were, you can't pit two baddies against each other. You know what I mean? But that's what happened. And I, I think they were two dolls that had a place in pop culture and allow us to do a lot of investigating into our own biases. And I, I don't know, I like when toys have that effect, when you can think about how you are as a person and you know, go back to the toys that you played with. And when you give them a little bit more critical thought, like you realize you're like, oh, okay, that's why I am the way that I am. Or like, this is what this toy represents. And this is how that manifested in my life as an adult. It's super duper neat. I hope that you have enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. And if you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you've made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. You're an Afternooner now. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or over on Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. You can keep up with this podcast specifically over on Instagram at the Hi, I'm Bobby podcast. And that's all one word. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I am currently going through all the toys that I played with as a kid and trying to see how they manifested in my being as an adult right now. So I can't really take in all of that information. Don't worry. I support your journey in going through all that. But I put it all in the description box just for you, bestie. Just for you. And as you can probably tell, I do spend quite a bit of time researching for these episodes and pining over and thinking about a lot of things. And that means that I am listening to a lot of music or videos while I do it. So I thought I'd share what this week's episode was powered by. So this week's episode was powered by K-pop, <laughs> specifically the groups Twice, Itzy, and Red Velvet. Twice is, that's my ultimate group, but I I love Itzy, I love Red Velvet, like I, I'm just, I love a good girl group. I don't know what they're saying half the time, but the beats and the dances are good, so I can't deny that. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this week's chat, and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. 
And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically, our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love wherever you're listening now. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judice, and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking betrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts.